Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Joe Lemon, and today's special guest is with Dr. Lisa Mason. Now, she's a veterinary practitioner as well as a rehab specialist. And we had a lot of great conversations about building up your own rehab facility. And I particularly really enjoyed this because we talk a lot about sales and marketing. That we get into how you can do it authentically, how you can be honest with people about where they are and the, and the best treatment plans. You know, she has a really interesting way of going about it, a really authentic way of going about it. But I know you guys are going to love this. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Lisa Mason. I'm really excited to have you on to the podcast because really this is something that we talked about last week that I think so many of our clients and just the whole industry needs to really bring into the whole conversation more. So let's start first by getting to know you a little bit more. How'd you get started in this crazy world of like vet rehab? Uh, (laughs) So it's a long story. Um, So I first started off in raptor rehabilitation. So birds of prey. Yeah. Yeah. Hawks, owls, eagles, falcons. I went to university. And that's where they have a raptor rehabilitation center. War Eagle. Yeah. Yeah. Right. War Eagle. Yeah. Um, And so I started working with exotics and totally dug it. I was like, this is the way I'm going to go. I'm going to do zoo and wildlife medicine and worked with baboons and loved it. Had so much fun doing it. And then I went into my orthopedic uh, rotation and they had an underwater treadmill in there. And I was like, what is this? And they were like, oh, it's just collecting dust right now. I was like, what? And they're like, let's rehab animals after surgery, but nobody wants to do it. I'm like, why not? And they were like, ah, you know, people think it's, you know, they do fine after surgery. And I started watching all the animals and I'm like, they're not doing okay after surgery. They're not using their legs. And like years later, they're still not using their legs. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's an up and coming thing. So I was like, all right. So I got out of vet school I started doing my exotics and my wildlife and I started getting into integrative medicine Mm -hmm. and uh, did my acupuncture training. Um, I joined up with a chiropractor who I love chiropractic on my own self. And so we started kind of talking and diving into physical therapy and, and talking about rehab for dogs. And I was like, I can do something to these older geriatrics So they're not being euthanized because they go, you know, they're sore or they go down in the back end. I can actually do something and really liked that thought. I was really tired of euthanizing too soon. And so I started working, you know, doing some physical therapy with these guys um, and, you know, did all the training and, and really started going, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to focus. I was, um, actually really tired from being a general vet and working really hard all the time and ended up getting a, um, a really bad uh, virus from one of my exotic patients and ended up in the hospital and my brain swelled and I couldn't walk and I couldn't see and I had horrible headaches and ended up turned to my acupuncturist and my chiropractor and they basically worked their magic over the course of three weeks. And I started doing PT in my own swimming pool and was able to walk again and managed my pain, managed my walking abilities with alternative medicine, with integrative medicine. And it was where Western medicine kind of fell short. They were like, this is all we can do for you. You're going to be on steroids for the rest of your life, or you're going to be on this for the rest of your life. And, and I wasn't going to take that as my answer. 
And so I began making life changes and decided that doing a, opening a standalone rehab facility was the direction I needed to go. And I worked really hard to get there. And now we've been open for uh, two years and I couldn't be happier. It's just been wonderful. Well, I, I mean, I mean, honestly, that's like an awesome origin story. I always like asking people that because especially in this space, it seems like there's something that drove some people there. Normally it's an injury. Yep. It, you know, I mean, normally they went through something themselves that kind of woke them up to, wait a minute, the world's pretty big. There's, yeah. There might be some other options out there. So that seems like that was the case for you as well. And, and you know, so talk about the burnout a little bit, because I think I would imagine a lot of the other docs kind of experience that as well. So like, I mean, how does it come about for all the younger people that are kind of getting into that whole industry? Like yeah. what's some of the things that maybe they could be keeping their eyes open to that would keep them from, you know, going through some of the same hurdles are. Uh, yeah. So, and this is a big thing in veterinary medicine, um, just as kind of a side story, veterinary medicine now leads the nation in suicides. Um, and so it's a very tough profession to be in. Um, we are all kind of type A personalities. We want to go, go, go. We want to save everything. Sure. Um, but nobody necessarily has insurance. So we also have to ask for the cost. Mm. Um, there's a lot of times people get angry because you won't treat their pets for free. Um, and then you get a lot of backlash um, because you, in a lot of cases, you have no control over that. Um, you also have to euthanize and you are basically acting as God in some cases and, and putting animals to sleep, which is very difficult. Um, and then on top of that, with the, the work and the burnout, you're constantly working to treat as many patients as you can. Can I do more? Did I do the right thing? Not sleeping at night because you're constantly thinking, did I make the right choice? Did I tie off that suture the right way in surgery? Um, did I put them on too many fluids? Did I mess up with my calculations? You're constantly second guessing yourself. We know that we, we call that imposter syndrome, you know, in, in psychology. And, and so we're, we're working really hard to try and be better and better and better. And we end up being our own worst enemy. Um, we listen to the demons in our head um, and it can drive us into depression. It can drive us into burnout. Um, and I think it's, it's, really a, a point where you have to you have to put up boundaries you have to put up a, a life work balance um and it's not the people around you have to put that up with you have to do it for yourself um because i think we are the ones that are driving ourselves to work 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 go 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 you know i am notorious for constantly checking my work email i always want to make sure i'm on i'm, I'm on for the the owners i want to be there for them at any cost and that cost ended up being myself. And, and I had to say, you know, it's okay if I miss an email and respond in six hours versus in six minutes. And that, that's not expected from a lot of people. I'm creating that for myself and I have to put up a boundary and I have to have fun. And uh, there's actually a really great book by Brene Brown that I, I like to, to think about. And she's like, life, is not all about working hard. You have to have fun. And if you don't have fun, then life is not worth it. So I like to try and make sure that I have some type of fun, <laughs> whether it be just with my dogs or, you know, going for hikes or kayaking or going on vacation. Um, I have to make sure I have that work-life balance or it, life just gets to be too much. 
I'm really glad that you went there with that because you're absolutely right. There's some really good research that came out that said, uh, even talking about sales, and I want to talk about this, and I definitely want to press into that a little bit more, but uh, it said that happier, well, happier uh, sales teams close at a higher percentage rate, roughly 37% higher if they're happier in their actual job, work culture, purpose behind it and everything else. Yeah. So, so, you know, talking about docs having to play that, that really tough role of, of choosing, you know, when, when to put some, um, you know, someone's loved one down yeah. as far as their pets versus, you know, asking for this, you know, maybe whatever that number is that they got to pay for therapies. Mm -hmm. How do you go about doing that? If, if you don't mind kind of opening up the actual treasure chest, like what's, what's your thought process and trying to coach the actual um, owners? Yeah. So I've always found that being real with people is wins more than being fake with them and, you know, finding that compassion. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of my patients, especially in rehab, I get to know them all the time. Like I, I see them two, three times a week in some cases I see them or even once a week, I get to know the owners, I get to know the pets. Um, and, and sometimes when I see that the pet is really struggling, I'm just real with the owners. And I say, you know, I think it's, it's time now we have to do this. And the same is true for when I'm trying to sell something, if you will, mm -hmm. because I sit there and I say, this is exactly what your pet needs. This is not my bottom line. This is not my red line. This is not what I'm looking for to sell. I look at them and I say, or at least now I talk to them because I can't look at them. Um, and I, and I say, you know, your pet is, is struggling from this and I can make that better by doing acupuncture once a week. I can do chiropractic once a week. We can do some underwater treadmill therapy, home exercises. You can play your part at home. I'll do my part here and we'll come together and we'll revisit everything after, you know, three weeks and see how it is. And I talk about the importance of each one of the modalities first. I'm very real with my experience with it. Hmm. I'm, I say, you know, this is how this animal has responded to this. This is my history with this. And, and they're always like, hey, doc, you know, is it really going to work? And I'm like, well, it could and it couldn't. Here's what the research says. And this is what we've experienced. And this is my, you know, how, you know, I'm not going to sit there. Absolutely. You have to do acupuncture. If you don't do acupuncture, then I can't help you. Because that, that defeated mode and that if you don't do what I want you to do, that's going to send people out the door, right? You have to sit there and say, I totally understand what you're going through. And I understand that financially you can't do this, but here is why we can do this. And here's what's within your budget and making realistic goals for them, realistic, you know, um, financial goals, as well as realistic, uh, you know, goals for the pet as well. So, you know, you're definitely walking down the right path here as far as empathy and everything else. Like, so do you have that conversation about the budget up front? Is that a, is that a, Hey, let's talk about how much you're willing to invest in this process. And yep. If you yeah. Mind. So I usually, so the way I work is that I do an initial evaluation and that's when we have these conversations and, and that's, I always start with everything else. And I talk money okay. last. Because if I, if I don't, if I start off with, this is going to cost $2,000 and then this is what's wrong with your dog. And this is what's, what we're going to do. And this is why it works. All they hear is $2,000. Right? right. And then they right. shut it off. Right. <laughs> and I see, I see so many vet clinics do this. You can come in, but it's going to cost you at least $1,500, you know? And it's right. like, okay, well we just, we lost them right there. 
the first way, you know, and you'll hear this if you ever call my clinic, the first thing is, is our receptionist is going to be like, it's so great to talk to you. We'd love to help your pet. That's our goal. We do an hour and a half evaluation and it's X, Y, and Z amount just to come to the evaluation. That's the last thing we talk about. Money should not be the first thing you open up with because you're going to put a block. There's a wall there. You talk about the importance of what you're doing first and you explain it as best as you can. You bring the empathy into it, how it's going to help them. And you establish goals, you know, that they're going to understand that this is our goal we're going to reach. And this is going to get us there. And then at that time, if they're like, you know, I really can't afford it. I'm like, well, kind of tell me what you can and can't afford. And then we'll work from there. But here's your goal plan. And this is what we want to do with gold plan. Most of the time they pick the gold plan. Love that. I love that. I mean, you know, just the fact that you have everyone bought in on that process. Mm -hmm. How long did that take? I mean, because, you know, I've, I thought the clinics all the time and, yeah. you know, unfortunately um, you have some mixed experiences. Some, you know, enthusiastic, love that the fact that you came in, mm -hmm. glad to see you type of setup and others sometimes it's like, oh man, it's Friday. <laughs> you know? Right, right. And we all have those days where we're like, really? I don't want to go do this again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so it starts with the interview process. I mean, it starts with that bottom, you know, of the, the chain. You're sitting there, you're calling these interviewers and you're talking to them. You mm -hmm. want to hear that smile on the phone. That's the first thing. If I don't hear you smiling on the phone, you cross you off the list. And then you have to know that they have passion and want to speak to people. So that's a receptionist. They have got to feel like talking to people all the time. They've got to want to talk to people all the time. You can't get a receptionist that hates people. <laughs> it's just not going to work. So they're out there, unfortunately. Yes. Have to have that. <laughs> and then you train them from there for what you do. And if you're passionate and you have really great team goals for them and you have a nice set of, of ideology for them to follow, they're going to express that. Everything else you can teach them. But you have to start with the person who is passionate about what you do. I think there's a common theme here. It's all about having that compassion, that passion for what you do. And, yeah. and, and that's how I, I pick my team members. And it takes time. You, I mean, you trial and error. You've got some people that come in and they just don't work. And that's why I have a 90-day policy. You know, if, you, if we don't work, you know, this is me interviewing you, you interviewing me. If we don't work, then you can go. It's not a big deal. Um, but you have to find the right person. So. I love every ounce of that. I mean, mm -hmm. just the fact that you're not holding people either. So it's like, it's one of those things where, hey, you know, this is two-way street here, right? <laughs> you, yep. can come, you can go however you want to do it. But, you know, it, you're pretty much putting that ownership on everyone. I heard you do it with the actual patients, mm -hmm. giving them homework, and you put it on your actual team members as well. And that, to me, is one of the biggest parts to get people to buy into anything, is that they got to know their roles within that process. So lo yeah. I love those pieces. All right, yeah. so let's dive into your clinic. Let's talk about what's going on down there in Florida. So tell me about how you guys operate, what, what different tools you use, how you mix them in together. Yeah. How's all that look? So, yeah, so as a rehab facility, we are focused mainly on mobility um, and uh, pain relief. So we're working with um, geriatrics, we're working with post-ops, we're working with neurologic patients, um, and then I also work with sports and working dogs as well. So when they come in, you know, we, we start off with initial evaluation and we see what their problem is. Once we've established what their problem is, our goals are typically, the first is going to be pain management. 
And when we look at pain management, we want to look at it both from a medical standpoint, from you know uh, what medications we can utilize, but we also want to look at it from a rehab modalities. So we look at, uh, we've got shockwave, we've got class four laser, um, we have uh, PEMF beds, which we use, uh, or PEMF beds that we use acupuncture. We do acupuncture on those. We wow. do electroacupuncture. Um, we do chiropractic. Um, let's see, I feel like I'm missing something that we do. Um, massage. Uh, we do, and then I also do some joint mobilization, some physical therapy techniques for pain relief as well. And, and then from there, once we've got our pain managed, we move into our mobility and improving their mobility. So we'll use underwater treadmill, therapeutic exercise, home exercises. We've got a nice home exercise program that we um, send videos to owners so that they can see how to do those. Um, and then we kind of recheck along the way as we go. Um, using, you know, you know, whether it be ice or we, you know, we can use a number of things for pain management as well. Um, and then I also, I have, um, I'm finishing my certification in pain management. So, you know, I've got a lot of tools under my belt as far as, um, you know, thoughts about medications. So it's, it's almost, it's going to a person who knows a little bit more than your regular vet about musculoskeletal, neurologic, pain management, all of these drugs that we use and the interactions with them. And I'm able to do it within, you know, spending more time with my patients and with my clients. So I'm not rushed. I'm not giving shots or doing blood work and things like that. Really interesting. So, so when you say more time, like what, what's the average time frame for like an actual treatment? Is it something that is it a, yeah, well, why don't you tell us? Yeah, it varies. So, um, you know, laser can take anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes, depending on what laser session we're doing. Um, shockwave is 15 to 30 minutes. My actual rehab appointments and when I do exams, mm -hmm. um, at my initial is an hour and a half, and I really go slow and use that hour and a half to make the dog really comfortable or the cat comfortable, and then be able to go through everything with the owner. And then my follow-ups are all 30 minutes. Um, sometimes if I know the patient's going to need longer, I schedule them for longer um, because I want to make sure that we can go as slow as possible and that the dog or the cat is not stressed out um, because if they're stressed out, their pain level's higher and they are not going to lay still for me to work on muscles and joints and they're not going to feel good leaving. Most of the time they feel good leaving and they come back in and they're happy to come back to us. I love that. So, so 90 minutes is, is one session. I mean, because, because, you know, I've been hearing a lot more that, I mean, of course, uh, I think in, in the whole animal world, you know, uh, I think most people are, are like, wow, if you get 30 minutes w with your doc, that's a, that's a pretty good session, but 90 minutes, that, that's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. so how's, how's the whole reception been just from the actual patients, uh, how they leave that actual initial meeting? Because, I'm curious as a, you know, as a straight dog owner as well, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why some people aren't bringing those longer sessions into the actual. Uh... Yeah. Well, I think you have to charge for them, first of all, and not everybody is going to necessarily be down with, you know, spending that type of money. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and if you want a 50, if you want a cheap exam, then you pay for a cheap exam. It's going to be 15, five to 10 minutes, even in some cases. Right. Um, and, and, but this is, it's such a thorough evaluation and it's the way we describe it to people is like the dogs walk in, they immediately smell lavender and then they, they have a non-skid rubber surface that they walk in on that they can actually walk on. They're not slipping and sliding. It's not scary. It's not a bunch of pheromones of scared, you know, other dogs. There's not a bunch of barking dogs. We don't have a kennel. Um, and then we, 
or my, my Siri is trying to talk to me. Uh, and then they come into the room and there's just a mat on the floor and I sit on the floor and we sit together and we relax and they eat cookies or peanut butter. I mean, it's like the, it's like a spa day. I mean, really. And, and they're, and they just, it, they're, it's so amazing. Like most of the dogs will just lay there and I'll have some dogs that people tell me they're like, they're aggressive. They need to wear a muzzle. And you know, I, I'll listen to them and I hear them, but most of the time the dogs just settle down and they lay there. Um, so it's wonderful. And then the dogs, like there was one dog that didn't want to get off the floor. She was like, can you just keep working on me, please? Um, and then, you know, and then we slowly, you know, now because it's, it's during COVID, we have to take them away from their parents. Um, and then we walk them in and out and that's the scary part for them. But most of the time they leave and they're like, whatever, this is cool. And they come back and they're wagging their tail and all the parents are always like, they're like, we drove up in the parking lot and we're so excited to be there. And I was like, good, that's what I want. Yeah. Um, so, so they really like that being able to take the, my time. It's also like the most thorough exam that any pets probably ever had because I'm moving all of the joints and I am massaging as I go along. If there is an area that's stuck and not moving, I do physical therapy on those areas so that it's moving better. They get a massage during the time and they leave feeling a lot better, um, at the end of the day. Love the amount of care that you're putting into this. So, so you. you brought up COVID and, and, and obviously you guys are uh, working through it, but can we talk a little bit about how it's impacting the whole industry? What's your thoughts about how we're going to move through it and everything else? Yeah. So at first I was very scared because I kind of base my principles on being face to face with my, my clients. Um, they're there. The dogs are relaxed because their owners are there. We've got a nice like little setup, like it's like your living room. So I was like, when we had to go to having clients out of the building, I was a little nervous about that. And at first I think clients were, so they started pushing off their appointments and then people started staying at home. And I think they were with their dogs more and they started seeing them. They were more lame and they were more like, they're like, oh my God, my dog needs to come see you. They're, they're really painful. And, and it's like they all of a sudden started seeing these problems with their dogs. And from every veterinary clinic I've talked to, during this situation, they've increased in revenue, they've increased in appointments, because I think it's because people see their animals all the time now, because they're at home with them. Um, they're also not spending their money doing other things, and they just want to treat their animals. So I think it's been, you know, a good and a bad thing. Yeah. Veterinarians that I've talked to, and myself included, we're all very tired. Um, it's ex exhausting. Um, you're, it's a little bit more work. We've all had to probably hire more staff during the time just to get dogs in and out. They no longer have their owners with them, getting them in and out of the buildings. Um, it's you, you're taking more precautions. We've had COVID scares where we've had clients say, Hey, I tested positive or my family tested positive. You have to postpone their care during that time. Um, if I or anybody in my staff gets sick, we're shut down for two weeks and there are dogs that depend on what we do for pain management. And if we shut down, that's detrimental to them. And so we've had to be extremely careful, um, you know, from the point of wearing N95s and face shields, um, you know, lots of PPE during visits, uh, disinfecting more, it's gotten to be, you know, it's, it's very um, thorough in how you have to manage the, the viral conditions. And then of course, there's that mindset that everybody has, what if I get it? Right. What if my, 
what can my pet get it? What if I, you know, am I going to survive this? Um, and so that brings that extra fear, which I think at first people were not nice to each other. People were starting to, you know, I think, well, I think at first everybody was really nice to each other and then they started getting really saucy with each other. And we started mm. having, there were fights in the parking lot, oh, man. People, like arguing with each other. And I'm like, what is going on? Everybody needs to calm down. Um, and I think it's just the state that we're in with the election year and things like that. It's, it's just, it's gotten to be a little bit crazy. And in Florida, we are in the epicenter. And we know that it's in our community. And so I've had people that have been uh, a little harder to convince that this is the way we need to go with doing, you know, curbside service. Mm -hmm. It's been a little harder, um, but we're making it through and people understand and the people that understand are amazing. Um, and we just have to keep working through it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I definitely think everybody hit the panic button. I know I did early March and I was like, what is this? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, it, 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 and so now I think people are, are trying to find their rhythm and, and more so find their pace. So once we look out, you know, let's say, you know, let's, let's get through this year, obviously, but let's go to 2021, 2022. How do you see this whole space evolving? Where do you think it's going to go over the next couple of years? Um, so I would ideally like to have more veterinarians with me and I would like to expand a little bit. Um, and we'll see how it goes. You know, I think adding more modalities, more pain management. Um, I think that's very important. Um, I love what I do. So if we didn't change at all and we just stayed the way we were and we just continued to treat more pets, then that would be wonderful. Um, I do see more of a need for it because more people are looking for, you know, more ways to pain manage. Um, the other thing to talk about is, is where the state of Western medicine and regular medicine is going is, you know, in people, because there's such a drive away from opiates and there's a drive away from, we have the answer for chronic pain and medications and needing more acupuncture, more chiropractic, more physical therapy in human medicine. And now people are seeing that and they want that for their pets. They want the same care for their pets that they have for themselves. And that's cool. I think that's really awesome. Um, and so we're going to see rehab grow. Um, we, you know, we now have the newest board specialty that's coming out. We've got residents in this um, field now, which is awesome. We're going to start seeing more people, you know, have uh, lasers in their regular veterinary clinics. We're going to start seeing more people have, you know, these other modalities because we know they work for pain management. And we're going to see ourselves go away from the medication therapy um, alone. Mm -hmm. And we're going to start going towards getting stronger and better well-managed pain. And the dogs are going to live longer because of it, which is awesome. That's the ultimate goal, right? You know, is to, you know, if my dog could live as long as me, that'd be awesome. Um, but, you know, because that's the hardest part. And you always hear that, you know, people are like, if they could only live longer and longer, and, you know, I wish they could. <laughs> Longevity is huge too, right? I mean, it, yeah. you know, um, I think this is really, really interesting conversation because you're right. And I'm asking myself, I wonder who drives the change. Is it more so driven by us that are on one side of the table? Like, you know, all the manufacturers and all the docs, or is it coming from the actual general population that's saying, hey, I'm looking for these devices and these alternative um, tools to help us get out of pain. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? On well, that I mean, you know, I think it's kind of both because, you know, in one way, it's a lot of it's testimonial and it's, 
some, they read something, they're going through, you know, Facebook or, you know, whatever social media they look at. And, and they're like, they see a story that's similar to their story. You know, my dog had, you know, was not able to walk and my vet gave me one option and that was euthanized. And I wanted a different option and they give their story. And I think that is, is probably more powerful than an ad from a manufacturer would be. And then they seek you out. And if you're close by and you're easy for them to get in, get close to or get into, then they're going to go for it. If it's feasible, if it's reasonably cost, um, then you're going to have more people want to do it. Um, you know, I had somebody ask me once, they were like, why did you open up a rehab, a standalone rehab facility in a small town and not a big town? Because you weren't guaranteed to have you know, patients when you lined up, when you opened up. And I was like, well, I opened up in a town, number one, that I was already known, pretty well known in, and I'd already shown my, what I can do. And then number two, I was in a town that people care about their animals and that's all that mattered. And so you can go to any small town and you're going to find, you know, a hundred plus people who love their animals, no matter what you do. Um, and that want good care. And, and so it's, you just need to be affordable and you need to be in an area where people will find you. And then you're going to, you know, if you build it, they will come as I like to say. And sure enough, the first day I opened my doors, um, I had a full schedule. It was, I, I haven't been slow day a day since. I mean, it was, um, wow. it was, you know, it was a miracle. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. And people were looking for it. People want this. They are, they don't know what an underwater treadmill does or, how cool it is, but they see somebody say it was worked for their pet. So they're going to do it. Um, and I think it drives us to spend, we spend more money on our animals than we spend money on ourselves because we want them to live longer because they are selfless yeah. and they do so much for us and we want to do the same in return for them. And so they're looking for a place that's going to do that for them. 1000%. I mean, you know what, I'm really glad that you brought up those smaller towns, because it's easy to find a lot of pet rehab, you know, places throughout LA. And you know, most of the big cities have a couple major, you know, a couple major centers that you can go pop into. But there's competition there. And there's so much of this blue ocean that no one's even tapping into. It's like, there's, there's like all this green space. It's like, there's like yep. people right, right on top of each other. And then there's like nothing for hours. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because hopefully people will kind of hear that message and say, you know what, maybe I'll go a little bit off the grid and, and uh, build my own space, right? Build my own mm -hmm. table there. So well, that's, it's scary that's at first, you know, I mean, that's a big undertaking. You've got to have all the equipment and you've got to have the ability to set up a business and to be able to, I mean, you know, the biggest step is that you're taking a risk, you know, I mean, it's, it's scary. Um, you know, and, and if you are not ready to dive, you know, head first into it, then it's going to be a scary adventure. You know, I was fortunate to be working out of another veterinary clinic before I opened my doors. And so I already knew I had clientele and, yeah. and, and that was a little less scary for me, but you know, you still have to put capital in the first of the, the you know, a little bit um, at the beginning. So, you know, it, it's hard to, to know this equipment's there and what to charge and what to do and how to do it. And I had some really great mentors. And, um, and you know, that's why I'm here, you know, because they encouraged me and they said, do it, you're going to do great. And I did, even though it's scary as hell. So. <laughs>
Hey, but look, obviously things are working out for you well. And, you know, right before we wrap up, just one quick question, because you just brought up this actual, you know, you started to open the door about being an actual business owner of an actual practice. How important is it to have mentors or at least have some experience behind it? Would you recommend um, people either, you know, having like a formal, you know, business background or something that you can just kind of tap into like an actual network and just get that education that way? There's a lot of really great people that are um, out there for you that have yeah. done it before. Um, I don't think you absolutely have to have like an MBA or, or have business background. Um, while it does help, um, I did a lot of research during the process. Um, but if I didn't have my mentors that were, had already traveled this road before um, and that had business sense, then I would have been lost. So, but you have to know where the resources are and they're there and they're great. And the resources are fantastic. Um, you know, both international as well as abroad. Um, I know several people that will counsel you in how to open a small, um, a small business and rehab specifically um, because there it's there. It, it can be profitable. There have been many people that have failed doing it. So if you don't do it the right way and you don't think about all of the different numbers, then, you know, it's, it can be very challenging, but, um, you know, there's mentors out there. They're great too. Well, Lisa, you know, I think that's the perfect way for us to wrap up. So please tell everyone how to find you because you might get a couple of hit ups about, uh, how to roll out this practice properly. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So you can email me at F L like the state Florida. V-E-T-R-E-H-A-B, Florida Vet Rehab at gmail.com. And uh, you can visit our website, same uh, acronym uh, at just regularinternet.com. Um, and uh, we'll be uh, ready to answer your questions if you have any. Boom. Love it. So, oh, last thing, last plug for you. Do you have any other podcasts, any other courses that are coming out? Because I, I know you were working on some projects. Yeah, so I do some podcasts and webinars with Online Pet Health, um, and that's with Megan Kelly. And there is actually some free podcasts, um, some that go through my story, actually, are kind of fun, um, on Online Pet Health, and you can find those on the, the Apple Podcast. Love it, love it. Boom. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for breaking away on a Friday and spending some time with us. Thanks, Thanks again. Joe.